0: Matthew chapter 28. Um, this message was not the one I intended to do this morning. Um, but. My my heart this this week. And the, um, the, the just the horrific shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Um, a message of rescue came to my heart with such urgency. I just felt like it rose to. The highest priority. We're looking at discipleship, the discipleship journey, and um, what what a heartbreaking week it is. Uh, just cannot imagine the unspeakable tragedy of families, parents, moms and dads, brothers and sisters losing nineteen beautiful, precious children. I, I honestly believe that there's nothing I would rather not happen in my life. There is like Lord, just not that. Not that. any Anything else. Not that. And yet that's what happened. And senseless evil occurred this past week. And I realize on top of that, there's the continued pain of the questions that are swirling around. Why did it take so long to get in there? Why did it take the law enforcement so long to breach the barricade? Um, and I know... There's continues to be questions about that, so I'm not casting blame. I don't know what happened, but I do know this: I watched the video of parents screaming at the police to do something, and it just it just it just hurts the heart to hear that. I just excruciatingly, if I were if I were if my, one of my kids was in that school, I just cannot imagine. But I cannot imagine standing there um, like. One of the positive stories that came out of this week was that of an off-duty Customs and Border Patrol officer, Jacob Alvarado. His wife and his daughter were in the school during the time of the shooting, and his wife just sent him a text. He was at the barbershop. She sent him a text that just said, Help, I love you. And he grabbed a shotgun from the barbershop. In Texas, they have shotguns in barbershops. Uh, not sure where I get my hair cut, <laughs> but um he went and he was able to rescue not only his daughter and his wife but several other children and teachers as well here 's why this is on my heart. The gospel is about rescue it 's about rescue. Jesus came to save He came to rescue the lost. Jesus has the heart of a rescuer. And so it's not surprising that the Bible passages that record Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascended to heaven, all of them are Jesus telling them to continue to do what he came to do, which is the work of rescue. They are not guided towards, hey, hope you guys have a great life, hope you guys are blessed, hope you guys are able to to really have a wonderful life and build big churches and all that. It is, do the work of rescue that I came to do, and I will be with you every step of the way. We're going to just look at one of those passages, but there are three. One in Luke, one in Acts, we're going to look at the one in Matthew. These are the last words Jesus said before he went to be with the Father. Beginning of verse 16, there's a familiar passage with us, for us. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. We looked at the, the, I love those three words, but some doubted. We looked at that last week. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus tells us we are to be disciples who make disciples. The discipleship journey is about growing and going. It is about growing as a disciple, and it is about going to make disciples. And going is all about rescue. The world needs rescuing. Now, that, that idea, you know, I was thinking about it, the idea of rescue seems far removed from probably most of our lives. The idea of rescuing someone, because no one in our life appears to be in any kind of danger we live in pretty safe environment at least it appears to be that way and it doesn't look like anybody needs rescuing a month ago i was working in my home office and um and suddenly there was a knock at the door i went to the door it was a neighbor and uh she's a neighbor i haven't had a lot of interaction with but she shared with me that a dog was loose and was following her and she was really afraid of dogs. Could could she get help? So I invited her to take shelter in our house. I went outside to dispatch this dog and I expected to see like a snarling, half wolf, half Rottweiler dog with eyes dark and foaming at the mouth. And I, So I went out there to dispatch and rescue this poor lady and, and I look and there is like, The friendliest looking dog I've ever seen is one of those dogs that just his whole face said, Hey, hey, everybody. Anybody want to play? And uh, but she had a fear of dogs. And so uh, my opportunity to rescue actually just kind of, you know, I suppose I could have rescued her from being licked to death or something. But uh, in the natural to the natural eye, it doesn't really look like anybody needs to be rescued around us. But the Bible tells us, folks, that everybody born is in need of rescue. If you were born, you're in need of being rescued. We have, first of all, an enemy that, as Jesus warned, and I read before the service, he he comes only, he's he's got one agenda, to rob, to kill, and to destroy. That's it, to devastate our lives. That's his one agenda, and he's powerful. And he has one agenda, to steal from you all that has any meaning, particularly all that God meant for your life, to steal it away from you, to kill you, to bring death upon you, but not just death, destruction, that is what He came. And all that He came, Jesus came to bring us life and that abundantly. But even more serious is that we have an enemy within Far more serious than the enemy without is the enemy within. We are born with a sin nature, with a a sinful cancer that rots through our souls and our morals and our thinking and our compass and all of that and turns it all the way from God and inward to bent desires. And that sin cuts us off from God, our creator, who is the only source of life. There's no life outside of God. So when the Bible calls us lost, it's because we are just one heartbeat away, one breath away from facing God and His judgment. And that judgment for those who die in sin is eternal judgment. It is hell. And we may not see that with our natural eye, but it is what we desperately need to be rescued from. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. He came, he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to rescue the lost from the most horrifying end and rescue them to the most wonderful end. The Great Commission is about saving the lost, it's about rescue. Jesus had the heart of a rescuer, and if we are becoming more like Jesus, we too will have the heart of a rescuer. So when Jesus says go, He doesn't say go and organize a religion or a movement. He doesn't say, hey, go and uh, and um, argue theology with people. He doesn't say go and judge people who don't look like you and live like you do. He doesn't say that. He says go and rescue. Go and rescue. And so I want to share a couple of thoughts to help us move Together in this, because this is what God calls us to do as a church and as individuals. So first reminder, and this is so important from Matthew 28, is we don't go in our own ability. We go in Jesus's authority. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. What for? For. Therefore, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore, because of that, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission does not begin with us. It begins with Jesus. It's not built on us. It's built on Jesus. Go therefore, because of my authority, Jesus says, therefore go. We can't go in our own strength. We can't impart spiritual life to the spiritually dead. We cannot rescue a soul from hell and deliver them to heaven. Not by our power. Not in a million years. Jesus promises we don't go in our ability. We go in His authority. We go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus said all authority is in heaven and earth, has been given to Him. We know who gave Him that authority. The only one who's not under all that, and that is the God, God the Father, has given Him all authority. And we talked a little bit last week about that overarching authority over all things. But some questions have come up is, didn't Jesus have all authority in heaven and earth before He came? Why was it given to him? Why does he say, now all authority has been given to me? I think there are are two uh, aspects of why he says, now all authority has been given to me. Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, has always ruled and reigned over all things. He has always been the authority over heaven and earth. Before He came. But now, Jesus, the Son of Man, the God-Man, the Incarnate, has been given all authority over all things. And there's a major addition to the authority that Jesus Christ has. Because before the cross, Jesus did not have the authority to raise lost sinners up from eternal death and give them eternal life. He did not have that authority to do that. Before the cross, Jesus' blood didn't have the power to cleanse the foulest sinner and make them clean. Before the cross and the resurrection, Jesus didn't have the authority to deliver souls from the kingdom of the devil into the kingdom of God. That authority, that power, is His now Only because He went to the cross and died for our sins and rose again from the grave. Jesus alone, listen to this, Jesus alone, not even the Father, can open the seals of judgment and the book of life because He died on the cross For our sins. What authority. Before that, God has the authority to judge all evil and wickedness. Jesus has that authority. He rules over all, but now Jesus has authority to take our sinful souls and cleanse us fully. Isn't that good? He alone has the power to open the seals that open life to us. No one else. In John 13, we see how all the power and authority affects Jesus' heart. It says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given, put all things under his authority, knowing that Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist, he bent down and he washed the feet of his disciples. When Jesus got power, it stirred his heart to serve. It stirred his heart to rescue. When people get power, often it stirs their heart to want to be served. But for Jesus, it stirred his heart to want to serve and to rescue. And Jesus came to a world in desperate need of being rescued, and he gave his life to rescue us. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he's saying, gang, out, get out there and, and rescue people in Jesus' name, in the power of Jesus Christ. In the authority of Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Get out there and rescue in my name. We don't go in our ability. We go in Jesus' authority. The second point that I want to bring to our attention from this. Is that we grow and we go together as a church on mission. Every local church is a church on mission. The Great Commission is a group activity. It's not an individual. We are... We are Americans, right? I mean, most of us probably in this room are Americans. And Americans, I mean, culture is culture, and I love cultures, okay? But our culture is very individualistic, isn't it? It's very individualistic. We, we know, I love talking with Paul about Kenya, and their culture is so different. It's so community so when you get in trouble when you're a kid in Kenya that trouble kind of passes on. You know, you get into trouble with your teacher, then you get in trouble with your parents, and then maybe your aunts and your uncles get involved. And you got a whole community, ra- you know, and here in in our country we're so individualistic and that creeps into the church. We listen to every sermon as an individual. It's kind of like in the winter, you pull up to your house, you open the garage door with a, a push of a button, you go go into your garage, you close the door, and no one sees each other through the entire winter. We're all individuals. Well, we kind of can do that in the church. We push the button, and the garage door comes down us, and we're listening to the message for us alone. But we've got to open our garage doors and listen to it as a community, okay? The discipleship isn't something you can do alone and it's not something I can do alone. There is nothing in the Bible that would tell you you can go out and make disciples or be a disciple by yourself. It's impossible. Not biblically. Jesus certainly didn't do it. If he didn't do it, we can't do it. It's a group event. Jesus sent them out as a community of believers and we see in Acts that they went out not individually. They went out as teams. And they established communities of believers, churches, wherever they went. That's how they made disciples. Even when they acted alone, like we have Paul at Mars Hill. He's kind of by himself. He's kind of wandering around. He sees an opportunity to preach. He preaches. But even then, they connect new believers into the community of faith. Part of discipleship is getting knit into the community of faith. So, what I, I want to share a few thoughts for us together as a church on rescue mission to do together. Let's do these things. First of all, and I'd say most most importantly, well, not most importantly, scratch that, uh, but very important. <laughs> Let's commit to pray for unbelievers. Amen. Let's commit to pray for unbelievers, for people to come to know Jesus Christ, for people to come to faith in Christ. Somebody said that before we talk to unbelievers about God, we need to talk to God about unbelievers. We need to go to God first. Where there is little or no prayer, there is going to be little or no power and little few salvations. Prayer is what plugs us into God's power. Praying for the lost. Is essential to seeing the lost come to faith in Christ, and I've often admitted prayer is not my strong point. I don't wake up at three in the morning and pray for four hours to start the day. Okay, I, my mind wanders, I get distracted with things. But folks, let's let's commit to praying for unbelievers for you know people who don't know Jesus. Pray for them by name. Lift them up to God. Passionately lift them up to God. Pray for opportunities to share your faith with people who don't know Jesus Christ. Pray. Rescue. Rescue. One of the things prayer does is it stirs up in our heart a passion for things that we may not care anything about. We may watch the house burn and we're like thinking, "Is you know, what am I getting for lunch? And Prayer helps our hearts to go into rescue mode. I want to pray for those who don't know Jesus because they desperately, desperately need to know Jesus. Pray for those who are unbelievers. We are weak as a church. The church is weak in evangelism when we are not praying. I love the story of Teddy Roosevelt. When Teddy Roosevelt was young, he was a weak and sickly child. Uh, He had asthma, which in those days was often fatal. He had a heart problem. He was nearsighted. He was just a weak and often sick child. And um, there came a point where, pardon the pun, Teddy Roosevelt, as a young, young boy, got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And he decided he was going to live what he called the strenuous life. The strenuous life. He began lifting weights. He began boxing and rowing. He began mountain climbing and taking long hikes hikes in the woods. And he got into great shape. One humorous story is that after he graduated Harvard, his doctor advised him, due to his heart problems, to take a desk job and avoid all strenuous activity. Roosevelt responded to that by climbing the Matterhorn. Roosevelt went from a sickly child who had little physical strength and stamina to a rugged man's man who could do things most of us would never be able to do or have the courage to do. And what changed him was deciding to live the strenuous life in pursuit of goals bigger than personal comfort and safety. Do we care about the unsaved? Do we do we care about their soul state? Do we Want Jesus' heart to rescue and be part of that rescue work. Are we sick and tired of experiencing little spiritual power? We need to pray. We need to pray. And we need to and and we should be praying for our lives. We should be praying for our needs. God invites us to do that. But that should not be all we pray for. We are to bend our prayers outward. So they don't just become all inward focused and pray for those who need rescuing, who need Jesus Christ. And as we do, the Lord's going to give us his heart and opportunities to share. And then remember the first point, we don't go in our ability, we go in Jesus's authority. I want to I want to. Make that commitment. I hope you will join me. Just as we have the summer fellowship challenge, um, let's have the summer prayer challenge. I want to invite you to pray ten minutes a day, to for just for unbelievers. Add that to your prayer ten minutes a day. Praying for unbelievers. Praying for opportunities to share about the Lord. Praying for opportunities to invite someone to church because that's a that's a great connecting point for discipleship. It's not the only connecting point, but it's a great connecting point. Pray for. For their hearts to be opened, their eyes to be opened, that for them to be drawn to Christ. Pray for wisdom to know how to draw them into a spiritual conversation. Ten minutes a day, ten minutes a day. But let's pray. If five minutes, if that's too long, pray five minutes. If five, if ten isn't long enough, pray longer. But let's commit to pray. Let's be intentional to pray, because Jesus does great things when the church prays. Second thing is, let's keep our focus on Jesus. Let's keep our focus on Jesus. You know, this is a point that uh, um, has the uh, opportunity and potential to offend everybody. listening, everybody. But the message that rescues souls from eternal death and into all the beauty that God intends for people is not a political message. It's not a social message. It's not a cultural message. It's the gospel. That is the only message that brings people from death to life. The message to rescue souls is this message. That there we are born sinners separated from God. And God is holy. God does not, cannot, allow sin to go unpunished. He cannot. and Therefore, our sin has cut us off from God for eternity. Hell is a real place. It's not socially fashionable right now, but it's reality. It is a real place. And we are all one heartbeat away, and we don't know when that heartbeat is from eternity. And there's nothing we could do. There's no goodness we could achieve. There's no good work we could accomplish that could bridge the gap between us and a holy God. But God so loved the world. He gave His only Son. That whoever, whoever, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Rescue. Rescue. It's not based on can you do this and that and the next thing for God. Can you measure up? Do you do this? Do you do It's believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Gospel. He is the Gospel. So our message is that we are separated from God because of sin but jesus loved us enough to pay for our sin that we might be forgiven and cleansed and have eternal life given as a gift so believe in jesus folks believe in jesus believe in jesus that is the message and we need to be careful we don't preach a lesser gospel and when i say a lesser gospel i literally mean anything else but jesus Oh, we live in a day where there's so many issues, aren't there? And everybody's angry about something. And and there's so many issues. And listen, we live full and robust lives, and we have other interests, and we have our political interests, and we have, you know, and I don't know if you notice this, but it seems like everything today is political. I mean, Everything gets turned political. No matter what you believe, there is a political side to it, and then there's an opposite political side to it. So here's my encouragement. Believe what you believe. Vote your conscience. Be involved in the things that you feel like God is calling you to be involved in, but never make that your message. Never let that become your focus. Never let that become what people think of whenever they think of you because then you take yourself. That becomes everything. Somehow we've got to be able to navigate all of these things and still be able to say, here's the message I want my life to proclaim. Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. That's not easy to do today, but that's what the Lord, because here's the thing. Jesus calls us to reach out to people and love people who don't agree with us in some things. He calls us to build bridges to the lost. And that includes lost people who don't vote the way you do or see things the way you see things. Or that I see things. Let's keep our focus on Jesus, church. Let's keep our focus on Jesus. Let Him be the main thing that people hear from our lives. Last point I want to share for us to do is let's be willing to step out and risk doing it wrong. Like I I don't want us to do it wrong. You know, we want the real gospel message. But let's... Let's risk doing it wrong and step out and do it. Some churches can get better at criticizing how other churches do evangelism than they are actually doing evangelism. D.L. Moody had that happen to him. Someone came up to him criticizing him about his style of evangelism. And here is what D.L. Moody said to his critic He said to him, He said, It is clear you don't like my way of doing evangelism. You raise some good points. Frankly, I sometimes do not like my way of doing evangelism. But I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. God can use our feeblest, imperfect efforts. But we want to give Him something to work with. I was reading the the beautiful story of Loon's mom and her family and Loon's family. They were re- Vietnamese refugees living in a Malaysian camp. When one day, and all they had was a little area in this camp, little bed thing, a little, very little. And she saw a book on her shelf, or on her bed. And she was like, it "Can't be." can't be in Vietnamese nobody here speaks Vietnamese but it was in Vietnamese and it was a Bible it was a New Testament and she began to devour it and she came to faith in Christ her husband came to faith in Christ the family came to faith in Christ now Loon is looking to return to Vietnam to teach and raise up pastors to share the gospel in Vietnam all of that somebody just put a Bible on her bed I wouldn't call that the optimal evangelistic strategy. But God used it in a powerful way. By the way, God's word is so powerful. And God's used that not only to save his family, but to continue rescuing others through their lives and their witness. I want to close this morning with a story that I thought of my own life and um, it has to do with this taking a risk when I worked at a music store in Long Island uh, I remember one day so clearly this, this very rough character came in I could spend 10 minutes describing this guy just exuded anger, violence, he was all cut up, blood all over him and he came in and, and he, was, he was agitated 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 but he also was looking for a guitar so he came in and he's you know you have all these new guitars hanging on on shell on uh, hooks he came in smacking the guitars you know we would always be so careful to put them up and don't scratch them if somebody even breathed them like be careful be careful this guy comes in smacking guitars off and you know uh we didn't say a word at home <laughs> not only that he is he is talking loud violent, cursing up a blue storm, and the store is full of moms and young children. And he's just, there's just, and all we wanted was for him to leave. All we wanted was for this guy to leave. And finally, after about 10 or 15 minutes, he walked out the door, and we all breathed a sigh of relief that he was gone. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, I want you to go tell him about Jesus. And I'm like, Lord, I'm working. (laughs) Take your lunch. It's only 11. Take your lunch. I said, boss, I'm, I'm taking my lunch. I went out. I found him. He was walking down an alley between two stores. I said, excuse me. The Lord spoke to my heart, and I want to share something with you. We spent an hour together. He wanted to go to a flea market. So I got in a Jeep with him, and we drove to it. He didn't know where it was. so, And I heard his story. He'd been in a massive fight the night before. His wife was leaving him. His life was falling apart. At one point, he's crying. I shared with him my testimony, and I shared with him about Jesus. And I am sure I did not do it perfectly. I am sure. But I'm also sure that God had that moment. And God sowed seeds in his heart for the gospel. I don't know what ever happened. I never saw him again after that. I don't share that story to say, hey, look at what I did. Actually, I share that story to say, I have become more risk averse as I've gotten older. I've become more aware of not doing things that look foolish or unusual. And I'm not sure me today would have done what me then did. But I want to. I want to. And I want you to. Use a little wisdom. But let's step out and take the risk. We risk someone laughing at us. We risk someone misunderstanding us. We risk somebody rejecting us. You know what I thought of when I thought of these kids in that school? If I was a parent there, or even not a parent, they need to be rescued. I don't. They need to be safe. I don't need to be safe. That's true as well. We're accepted by the Father. We don't need everybody to like us, everybody to understand us, or no one to laugh at us, or no one to reject us. And often people that reject us initially may be the ones who God does an amazing work in their hearts. Church, together, God calls us to step out of our routines, our comforts, pray, keep the focus on Jesus, and be willing to risk doing it a little bit wrong. Or looking a little bit foolish. And see what God can do with our witness. That's for us individually. But let's open the garage doors. That's for all of us together as a church. I want as we close this morning. To just take a little time. To let this kind of saturate in our hearts. And maybe there is someone in your life. That God is going to put on your heart. To pray for them. Intentionally and aggressively. Maybe it's one of your children. Maybe it's a family member. A spouse, a friend, a co-worker. To pray for their soul. To pray that they come to know Jesus. Let's take a few moments in silence. Maybe there's someone in this room or watching online and and you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. You're not even sure maybe what that means. A lot of religions are going to tell you what you want to hear or you may want to forge your own religion which basically says what you want to hear. Everything's good. Everything's okay. God accepts everything you do. The Bible paints a different picture. It's not a it's not a god who fits in with everything we want. It's a god who is very distinct. Holy sovereign And he doesn't accept everything we do. He's actually better than that. He loves us. And he loves us enough to give his son to die for our sins. To pay the full price. So that the blood of Christ covers our sins and our guilt and our condemnation. Washes us clean. And then He gives us His Spirit to build us up and to bring life to us. And to draw us into fellowship with God the Father. And all of this as beloved children and friends. And all of this is not something you earn or you work at. It's a gift. And it's a gift given with love. And so the question simply is, will you accept that? Will you receive it? Will you allow Jesus to come into your life and to change you in all good ways into all that God intends for your life to be? Will you follow Jesus as his disciple? And I invite and encourage you to say yes to Jesus. To receive all that he has for you right now. to believe that Jesus is real. He's resurrected from the dead and He alone is the one who can save our souls, rescue us from the brokenness we live in. Will you say yes to Him? Will you say yes to Him? I pray you do. If that's you and you have questions, we want to talk with you. We want to encourage you in your spiritual journey. We want to do everything we can to help you to know the Savior who loves you so much. So please let us know. Father, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you, God, for who you are. Lord, the enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but you come to give Life and love and light and hope. And I pray that every heart will receive it. But I also pray for us as a church and individually. Lord, help us not to just receive it for ourselves, but to be the conduits of it to a world in such need of rescue. Even as we go here from here today, may we have a fresh commitment stirred on by a commitment to pray to share Jesus with those who don't know him. May we start to see uh, people, opportunities to share Jesus with people. And may we start to see people come to faith in Christ and salvations in greater and greater numbers, Lord. We need to see counteraction to the evil that is so prevalent in this world. And that counteraction is the revival of God moving by His power and Spirit, bringing people to Jesus Christ. We ask for it in Jesus' name, and we want to be a part of it in Jesus' name. And it's for His name and His glory we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Let's do it, church. Let's do it. Let's do it together. Let's grow. We're going to make stumbles. We're going to fail. We're going to... But let's do it together. It's what God's called us to. We are a people on mission together. And we have the privilege of doing that. So the Lord bless you. Have a blessed and meaningful Memorial Day weekend. And do take time to remember and to honor those who have given their lives for the freedoms that we so enjoy. So God bless you.